Good morning. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. We sang it. Do we, do we believe it? Are we willing to say no to all the things of this world? And yes to, to Christ alone. I pray that after today that will be more true of us. I think it's a process. I think we're growing in that. And I think as we spend time personally and corporately in God's Word and in prayer, we, we grow uh, in these words that we sing, that we would uh, believe and that we would want more of Jesus and, and less of this world. So we're in the midst of a series of sermons and these sermons have come out of my sabbatical time. And so this is kind of a uh, series within a series. We're going to start, I'll talk about, we're going to start talking specifically about prayer this morning in the midst of this sabbatical service. But we began by looking at transformation, if you remember, six weeks ago. For several weeks, first and a couple more, we examined Second Corinthians chapter 3. We focused on these two verses, verses 16 and 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we turn to the Lord, our veil, that barrier that exists between us and God, because of our sin, it's removed. And because of that, we can then behold His glory. We can see Him for who He is, for what He does. By God's grace, we can see His beauty, His greatness, His majesty, His splendor. We're able to experience His presence in our lives. We're, uh, he gives us assurance. He gives us hope. He gives us an actual sense of His presence in our lives. And through that experience, through God's presence in our lives, through His Spirit working in our lives, God transforms us into the same image, into His image. The image of Jesus Christ. Now we also saw that the primary place that we behold God's glory, the primary place we experience His presence the primary place we experience transformation by His presence is through His Word. Specifically meditation, spending time, stopping, and, and applying His Word to our lives. And we do this through prayer, through prayer based on that meditation on His Word. Think of it this way. We all enter this world uh, as big hunks of misshapen rock, if you will, Sorry. But God is the master sculptor. His word is a, a chisel. And his gift of prayer is a hammer. Through prayer, God takes the truth of his word. I mean, picture it. Uh, you got this chisel. And picture That just reminded me. I meant to put a picture up there of a guy with a hammer and a chisel and a hunk of stone. Of misshapen stone. The chisel, his word, prayer, his hammer. Through prayer, God takes the truth of his word. And over time, 
over our lifetime, He chips away at the sin in our lives. He transforms us from a shapeless rock into a a beautiful sculpture. As Paul promised the church in Philippi, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. When we come into this world, we're marred, right? Uh, we, We are still in the image of God. The image is in there. We're created in the image of God. We just went to the uh, Riverside Life Services banquet, and they always, that's a, always a theme that we are created. Human beings are created in the image of God, therefore we're valuable. But that image has been marred. But God is the sculptor. Our transformation into the image of Christ will not take be complete until the day of Christ Jesus. We talked about this. Until our death or, or Christ's return. But right now, in this life, God is at work chiseling away at our imperfections, our, our bad attitudes, our greed, our lust, our selfishness, our sinfulness. All that is not His image. He's chipping away, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And His primary tools are His gifts, the things He's given to us, are His Word and prayer. But unlike that misshapen uh, stone that can't move, it's, it's stuck in, in place. The artist can just come in and go as he pleases. The stone is there to chisel away at. We have the ability, we have the choice to draw near or to withdraw from the artist. We have the ability to draw closer to God through His Word, uh, through prayer. We have the ability to withdraw from God by ignoring His Word, ignoring prayer. As James makes clear, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. As we draw near to God through His Word and prayer, He draws near to us using His Word and prayer to transform, to sculpt us into something new. So our clear mandate is to draw near to God. That's our part, to draw near to God. But let me ask you a question. Do we got that? All of that was to say we're to be drawing near to God. So let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer, but that's a little bit rhetorical. What causes you to draw near to something? Think about that. What causes you to draw near to someone, let's say? What causes you to want to know someone better? What causes you to want to be in relationship with someone? I remember when I was in college, I met a man named uh, Bruce McCluggage. Some of you might might even remember Bruce. He was around because it's been a long time since I was in college. Let me say that. He was uh, on Campus Crusade staff. And after spending some time with him, I knew I wanted to get to know him better. I wanted to be his friend. Why? Because Bruce was attractive. He was a handsome guy, but that's not what I'm talking about. He had qualities that I was attracted to. He was easy to talk to. He was fun to be around. He enjoyed sports. He was a good communicator. He was a charismatic leader. And he loved Jesus. And maybe most importantly... Besides his love for Jesus, uh, to an insecure college student that I was, he he actually wanted to get to know me. 
He was interested in me. Bruce had attributes. He had qualities that I was drawn to. And so I, I drew near to him. I got more involved with Camp's Crusade. I joined the small group of guys that Bruce was discipling with, meeting with on a, on a weekly basis. We hung out. We did things together, fun things. Bruce taught me to golf. If you've seen me golf, that's no. He was a really good golfer. Uh, it didn't translate well to me. Now, I tell you this, and not so you guys will go out and track down Bruce to get golf lessons or something, but I tell you this because it illustrates an important point. And the point is that we, uh, naturally, we draw near, uh, we want to know people better, we want to seek to be in relationship with those whose attributes, whose qualities we're attracted to, right? That's why I'm, I mean, I was going to use Christina as an example, but she's just so obvious why I'm attracted to her, I thought Bring something else up. You know, that's, that's why we, we are attracted to people, and so we want to be in relationship with them. That's true in our relationship with people, and that's true in our relationship with God. We'll draw near to God, get this, we'll draw near to God when we're attracted to who He is and what He does. We'll draw near to God when we see His wonderful, amazing, and beautiful attributes. We'll draw near to God when we behold His glory, when we see how glorious and amazing He is. So we're going to spend some time beholding the glory of God. The, 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 the result will be for us to spend some time with Him because we're attracted to Him. But we have to see what's attractive about Him, and that's what we're going to be doing it's my prayer that as we do, as we behold His glory, that we'll be inspired, that we'll be motivated to draw near to Him, to seek greater and deeper experience of Him in our lives, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me, in you, uh, let, me let you in on a little secret in case you didn't know. I knew this before I went on sabbatical. At least I knew it in my head, but during my sabbatical, it moved deeper into my heart. Here it is. My main job as your pastor, as your earthly shepherd, is to help you draw near to God. That's what I'm supposed to do. To equip you, uh, to inspire you, to motivate you, to maintain and to grow in a healthy relationship with God. Helping you have a good marriage, to raise good kids, to have a healthy single life, to be a person of integrity, to use your spiritual gifts to serve the body, to reach out to your friends and families and neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to do your part, to send and support missionaries. All of this is important, but it's folly, it's foolishness. If you don't, first and foremost, have a healthy, growing, uh, intimate relationship with God. As Jesus said, for what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world, even the good things of the world, even his, the works, his work in this world, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and forfeit his soul, forfeit his relationship with God, forfeit what God has for him? Or her. This was so impressed on me during my sabbatical that I wrote this resolution. I've talked to you guys. I, I, I came up with 15 resolutions, things that I, I, I saw needed change in my life and my leadership. 
I wrote, I resolved to help the people of Bridges Church have a better understanding and experience of being in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I continued and I I defined that. I said, the major focus of this will be in the area of prayer. I want to equip our body to be people of the word and prayer. And, and, the, and as I talked about last week, those two go together. You know, you can't be a man of the word, the, the, the true word, and not a man of prayer. I believe that it's only when we are people of the word and prayer that we'll experience relationship with God and that experience will transform our lives. And only then can we minister effectively. Can we do those things that God calls us to in our community and in our world? Now, I, I, I wrote this too in my resolutions. This may involve a sermon series on prayer. But it will certainly become part of my regular teaching of God's Word. As we study the Word of God, I want to call people to a deeper, transforming experience of Him. So that's what I hope I've been doing over the past five weeks, and that's what I want to continue to do. I wrote that the major focus of this will be in the area of prayer, and that this may involve a sermon series on prayer, and so that's what we're going to be doing. Because it's through Bible-based prayer, and we'll, we'll see what that means, maybe not today, but as we move on, as we behold the glory of God that we draw near to God, that we maintain and grow in our relationship with God. And so we're not going to talk, and so we're going to talk about, about prayer. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at a number of prayers found in Scripture. We're going to learn about prayer in a way that I, that I hope will empower us, uh, not just to say words to God, not just to listen to God, but to experience relationship with God. And I want to begin by looking at this, uh, the psalm we used, part of the psalm we used last week, uh, Psalm 86, a prayer of David. If you have Bibles, turn there in your Bibles. If not, I have the notes. Pull out the notes because I have the psalm in the notes. And the reason I chose uh, to begin with Psalm 86, besides the reason that it was like maybe the most impactful psalm on me during my sabbatical, is because it's not only a prayer, but it includes uh, descriptions of God's attributes. It's filled with opportunities to behold the glory of God, which I pray will inspire us to draw near to Him, draw near to Him through prayer and through His Word, that, that we might experience Him and be transformed by Him. So, so, for at least this week and next, we're going to focus on beholding God. I, I actually had uh, a sermon. This one may be a little long, but if, if I hadn't cut it, it would have been really, because th- there was just too much in there. So I just made it two parts. So I'm almost done with next week's sermon. I can take another week off. No, just kidding. Uh, so we're, we'll, we'll stop. Just We'll see a couple things this week. We'll, uh, uh, focusing on beholding God's glory and for us, uh, uh, to behold God's glory in Psalm 86, in this prayer, it's important that we first ask the question, what is David praying for? So this is a prayer of David. What is he asking God to do? I mean, we're all, we all ask God to do lots of stuff in our lives, right? 
Usually when we think of prayer, that's what we think prayer is, just asking God stuff. And that's certainly part of it. We talked about last, that last week. So I'm going to read Psalm 86. And you have it in your notes, if you have your Bible out. And I want you to, uh, to underline or circle in your notes all of the things that David is praying for, the things he's asking the Lord to give him or to do for him. This is uh, active reading, right? Circle, underline, highlight in your Bible or your notes if you need a pen. Anybody need a pen or anything? Okay, you're all equipped. What, Dave, what, what is David praying for? Verse 1, a prayer of David, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. So that's, I'll, I'll just stop there. That's the first thing you should, he's, he's saying, God, listen to me. Hear what I have to say. And, and he's boldly saying, answer my prayers. For I am poor and needy. We'll talk more about that in weeks to come. Preserve my life, okay? That's a prayer. Preserve my life. For I am godly. Save your servant. That's a a request. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. I'm going to just read now. You guys got the idea. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations will, nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are God, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see, may, may be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So, you guys were highlighting away, underlining away, you got it all there. So what are some of the things that David is praying for? Just shout them out, say them out. Hear and answer me. He's praying that God would hear his prayer and, 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 and answer. Guard my life. Preserve my life. What was, I, I got, Sharon? Unite my heart. Give me an undivided heart, the NIV says. Other things. Be gracious to me. Teach me your ways. Give me gladness. That's what, I want to reflect on that one because that's a great example of what we talked about last week, right? Transforming prayer. David is praying that God would change him. You know, I'm not feeling glad, Lord. And I can't make myself feel glad. 
You know, how do I do that? You have to enter in and gladden my heart, gladden my soul. Anything else? Show me, you're right, give me a sign of your favor. Did we say uh, he prayed to give him strength? He prayed for strength. I think we got most of them. To save him, to be gracious to him, to preserve his life. What gave, so this is a question, what gave David the hope that God would answer these prayers? That was supposed to, you weren't supposed to actually answer that. But, but, but that's the right answer. But I'm supposed to give the right answers. The answer is uh, uh, that David has beheld the glory of the Lord. David has seen and experienced who God is and what God does. And this gave him the confidence to draw near to him, to draw near to God in prayer, and to pray the way he does. So what did David know about God? What glorious things did David behold? This is, this is what we have to do, really. This is, the, this is uh, if we want to be in relationship with God, if we want to understand God, this is at the heart of it, is seeing who he is. Because if we're not seeing who he is, then we're in relationship with somebody else, somebody of our own uh, invention. And it's only in his word where we see who he truly is. So, so the question is, who is David praying to? Well, obviously, he's praying to God, right? And it's David, the man after God's own heart, the guy that knocked down the giant. So we know he's praying to the, the one true God. And it's interesting to note in this prayer, and you, you wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't jump out at you in English, in the English translation, but he uses all three of the main Old Testament Hebrew names for God, intermixed it within his prayer. The main, the first one, he addresses him as Jehovah, as Yahweh. And in the English, in your English Bibles is written as Lord, all caps. If you, if you see in, your, in, in most translations of the Bible, if uh, the word Lord is in all cap, caps, it's, it's Jehovah, it's Yahweh. This is what God called himself uh, from the burning bush. When Moses was standing at the burning bush and, and Moses asked God, what is your name? Who, who, will I, who, who should I say sent me? Is, is God sending Moses back to Egypt to deliver his people? And God says, I am is my name. It means that God is the, is, is the existing or self-existing one. He is. I mean, what else? He's the definition of is. Behold the glory of God. He is the eternal, self-existent God. Second, David also addresses him as Adonai which is written in your English Bibles, uh, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, Lord. So same word as Yahweh, but to distinguish them in English, we'll, we'll do the uh, Yahweh with all caps. But Adonai, this name can be used of men, and in Scripture it's used of men, and it's used of God, and it really means uh, like master. Like we think of England, they have lords and ladies. The Lord is the master of his of his lands. And so he's the Lord. So behold the glory. God is the master, but he's not the master of some lands in England. He's the master of all. He's the Lord of all, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And finally, David addresses God as Elohim, which is written God in 
in English. This is the plural form of El, which basically means God or supreme being. And therefore, because uh, Scripture often, and when referring to God, uses the plural, many believe that even in the Old Testament, the authors are giving us a hint into the Trinity there, that, that it's not just it's, it's God, one God, but He is also uh, three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So behold the glory of the supreme God who, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So David uses all these names to address God. And each one describes the glory of God in, in different ways. And he also pro- provides us with some descriptions of God. And these descriptions relate to what he's praying for. It's because you're this way, God, I can ask for these things. It's as if David is saying, Lord, I can ask you for these things because I know who you are. I've beheld your glory. I've seen who you are. I've experienced your presence. I've experienced your work. I've saw, seen who you are and what you do. It's because of God's attributes, who God is and what God does, that David prays the way he does. David is attracted to God. He draws near to God because of who God is. And because he knows God uh, has what it takes to answer his prayers. You don't ask people, well, unless you're foolish, you don't ask people to do things you know they can't do. This is so important. Let me me just illustrate it this way. When I was uh, in Thailand as a missionary in uh, the city of Chiang Mai, I helped to coach two basketball teams, two very different basketball teams. One team was made up of elementary age uh, boys and girls. Actually, it was mostly girls because the soccer coaches decided to have soccer and all the boys wanted to play soccer. I actually volunteered to coach this team because my son, Michael, was going to play, but then he broke his wrist. So I'm coaching all these kids, these these, uh this is uh, international school kids, so some are part Thai and some are Americans and from all over, but mostly they're girls because all the boys are playing. The other team I, uh, th- that I coached was made up of all Thai boys, uh, actually men, college-age men. Now, the things I asked the elementary team to do were different from the things I asked the college team to do. Why? Because of their attributes who they were. The elementary team was young, inexperienced, and uh, mostly short. They had minimal basketball skills. So basically, I asked them to learn to dribble and to pass and to shoot, to try and get the ball down the court and throw it in the basket before it would go out of bounds, right? But the college team had several guys who'd played basketball for years, uh, who were much better than I was. They were skilled at dribbling and passing. And, and, and so I asked them to run some plays, to set some screens, to pass the ball around until, they were op- until somebody was open for a shot. So do you see the difference? What we ask someone to do should be directly related to what they're able to do. We see this in Psalm 86. David is asking for some pretty big things, Right? We talked about him to preserve his life, to save him, to teach me your ways. He's asking for God to enter into his heart and and teach him what is right, to gladden my soul. I'm not feeling glad right now. God, you're going to need to do a work in my soul so I can experience joy. 
to give me an undivided heart. My heart is divided. I'm, I'm going this way and that. I'm not sure what to think and feel. God, you're going to have to give me an undivided heart, loyal to you and you alone. He's asking these things of God, but he's asking God who has the ability to do these things. And so, and, and so much of David's prayer is him declaring truths about who God is. Now, why does David do this? God already knows who he is. God already knows what he does. He doesn't need to be reminded. Well, I think he does it for two reasons. First, to give glory to God. To not only behold his glory, but to declare his glory, to reflect his glory back to him. That's an important part of prayer also. We talked about, that's the adoration of God. It's part of our prayer. The first thing we should do maybe is to adore God, to reflect back to him the glory, to tell him what we know about him and and thank him for that. As he prays for his own needs, he praises God, who is the only one who can meet these needs. So first, David, in his prayer, declares the glory of God. And second, David is reminding himself and his readers and us just how amazing God is. He's telling us about God. There's a a valuable information for us to pay attention to in David's prayer. If we pay attention, we we can see just how amazing and capable God is in answering our prayers. We can behold His glory for ourselves. We can be motivated to draw near to Him. Reading and studying David's prayer for God to work in his life should help to build our confidence and trust in God to to, to pray to him that he would work in our lives. David's prayer should motivate us to pray in similar ways. When I came to this prayer in my sabbatical, when I was reading through the Psalms, and I started reading, I go, oh, I need to pray this. I need to think about this. I need my soul gladdened. I need an undivided heart. I need to persevere. I need so much of what David was praying for. And, and he, he began the prayer, and this is really what caught me. He says, for I am poor and needy. I go, oh yeah, that's me. But even though I'm poor and needy, you're not God. You're all of these things, what David says, what we're going to look at. And so you're capable of answering our prayers. So let, let's continue to answer the question, who is David praying to? We only have a, sh- yeah, we only have a, a time to start. We'll continue next week. Let's use David's prayer to behold God's glory, that we would be captivated by who He is, uh, uh, that we would be attracted to His attributes, that we would be able to, uh, we, we wouldn't be able to help but drawing to Him, draw, drawing near to Him on a regular basis. And the first thing I want us to see is that. David is praying to his and to our personal God. God is a personal God. This is not true about all the gods that people uh, uh, believe in or worship. Most are not personal gods. They're distant gods. But our God is personal. In verse 2, David prays, Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. 
Those four words, you are my God. There's a personal relationship between David and God. David asked God to preserve his life, to save him, something only God can do. And notice he he also says three things about himself right here in this verse. He says that he is godly, which means uh, he's a faithful follower of God. He says that he's God's servant, and he says that he trusts in God. All three of these point to his personal relationship with God. He serves God, he trusts God, he follows God. So we need to first understand, as we're we're talking about prayer, and David is modeling it for us, that prayer is an integral part of our relationship with God. There are many people uh, who don't have a relationship with God, but they still uh, pray to him or pray to someone Usually only when uh, they're in big trouble and re- or really want something. Okay, I'm not going to bug you, God, but now we see this in TV and movies all the time. The hero, the main character, whoever's facing a difficult situation, they've tried everything and nothing works. And finally, the writers uh, who don't want us to think that our heroes are too religious have them say something like this, God, if you're there. Or God, I'm not really a a praying person, but one of my favorite movies in A Wonderful Life, that's what uh, George Bailey says, Lord, I'm not a praying man, but he's at his wit's end. He's tried everything he knows, now he's going to God. Or Or God, we haven't talked since I was a child, but... And then they they make their request. I was watching the TV show, uh, This Is Life. No, no, no. This is us. And the father, Jack, uh, he's the, the father in the show. After being kicked out of the house on his birthday by his wife, who's pregnant with triplets, she forgot his birthday, she kicks him out of the house, while sitting in the car, prays this, Hey God, I know we only talk during the playoffs, but if you're listening... I'm concerned that my wife might be possessed by demons. Okay. In other words, God fixed my wife. I, I don't know what to do anymore. I've tried. I've been, he was being so nice in the scene before, and she just wasn't taking it, you know, because she's like this big. you know. And she, now, that might be funny, but it's typical of the way that those that don't have a relationship with God uh, might pray. But the Bible teaches that God not only doesn't answer, but doesn't hear the prayers of those that he doesn't have relationship with. In Isaiah 59.2, the prophet says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. There, because of sin, there's that veil. Remember we talked about the veil, the barrier at the beginning? And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This implies that God only hears the prayers of those who have had the veil removed, who've been reconciled to him, those who've who've trusted in him, those who are in relationship with him. He's not listening to those that aren't in relationship with him. Let me side note, there's one exception to that rule. There's one prayer that God hears and answers from, from all people. And that is the earnest prayer for their salvation. Their earnest prayer, God, I want to enter into relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. 
It's that, that's the prayer that removes the veil and opens us up to all the rest of the prayers that we can have with God. So back to Psalm 86. We can only pray the way David does if we have a personal relationship with God. Because God is a personal God. David says, you are my God. And if he's my God, if I follow him, if I trust him, if I serve him, then I can pray to him. David can say, answer my prayer because you are my God. Because of my personal relationship with the Lord, I can boldly go before him and ask him to do things in my life. Now, he might, when I'm asking him things, he might say, uh, well, you, you know, because I'm in relationship with him. Right? He might say, well, that is not something you should be asking for. That's not something I'm going to do because it's not what's best for you. It's like a marriage. I can ask my wife to do things, and she can ask me to do things that we'd never ask anyone else. And we can tell each other, well, I don't think that's a good idea, you know, because we have a special, it's a, it's a relationship. That's the thing we have to understand about, our, about prayer. It's, it's a relationship. And David is saying, Lord, I have a personal relationship with you, so hear my prayers, Now, I want to uh, pause here for a moment and and just behold the glory of the Lord in this. I want us to feel the wonder of this truth. Maybe even meditate for a second. That God is personal. That for those who trust in Him, He becomes their God. That if you've trusted in Him, He is your God. In a sense... He belongs to you. And what that means is that God has given himself to you. Yes, you are his. Scripture says you're bought with a price. But he is yours as well. The creator of the universe, your creator, invites you into relationship with him. You need to know this. You need to believe this and you need to live based on this. You need to meditate on the fact that God has given himself. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, that God has given himself to you, that God is interested in you. Remember, that's what attracted me. One of the things that attracted me to Bruce when I was in college, he was interested in me. Well, God is interested in you. That God wants to know you and wants you to know him in deeper and deeper ways. Behold the glory of the Lord. He's a personal God. He's your God. And allow that to inspire you. He's waiting for you. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice, I'll come in and sup with him. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to come to him. Because you're in relationship with him. So David is praying to a personal God, but God is more than just a personal God. David is also praying to the one and only God. People can pray to many gods. People do pray to many gods. Gods of uh, our own human invention. There are prayers being lifted up now to hundreds, if not thousands of different gods. But unless you're praying to the one and only God, then your prayers are pointless. In verse 8, David writes, there is none like you among the gods. As we'll see, this doesn't mean that there are other gods, that there are some other lesser sort of gods that exist. It means that people believe that there are other non-existent other gods. 
People have created other gods out of wood and, and, and silver and gold. Images. We often create gods. Uh, our God is often ourselves, right? But David goes on, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. O Lord, and and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Yes, if if we trust in him, God is your, my personal God. There's a a song, uh, I don't know who sings it. Your own personal, who songs, who sings that? Your own personal Jesus. Okay, I don't know who sings it, but but it can be true for those that trust in him. But never forget that he's also the one and only God. David and you and I pray to to God because he alone is God. There's none like him. No one can do what he does. He made the nations and he deserves the worship of the nations. And one day all will come to worship him. All peoples will come to worship him. He is great and he does wondrous, marvelous things. He must be glorified. That's our mandate to glorify him, to draw near to him that we might glorify him. This is so important. Behold the glory of the Lord. Meditate on the truth that God alone is God. Know that God has the power, God alone has the power to answer your prayers. That when we pray, we aren't praying to some local tribal deity, some uh, God of our own or someone else's invention. We're praying to the one and only true God, to the creator and sustainer of all things, to the all-powerful, all-knowing King of kings and Lord of lords. If that doesn't cause you to want, I mean, that's who you're invited to draw near to him. And if that doesn't cause you to want to draw near to him, I don't know what will. However, there's more. That should be enough, but there's more. Next week, we'll behold even more glorious attributes of God found in Psalm 86. Maybe you you want to read ahead. Maybe you want to read it maybe once a day through the week as we prepare to delve into it even more. Highlight, meditate on the attributes of God that you find there. But as we conclude, I, I want to move from David's prayer in Psalm 86 and point out one final thing. It goes together. It goes together with he's a personal God. He's the one and only God. But it relates to us. I want us to Ask and answer the question, who are we praying to? Who are we praying to? Now, I'm not saying that we're praying to someone different than David. That's the whole point, right? Yes, we're praying to the same God David prayed to. We're praying to Yahweh, to Adonai, to Elohim. We're praying to our personal God, and we're praying to the one and only God. But for us, for Christians, there's something more related to who God is who God is in our lives. In addition to all we've seen and will see in Psalm 86, we're also praying to our Father. To our Father. We don't see this in the Psalms. In, the book, in, the book, uh, in this book filled with prayers to God, there are no prayers that address God as Father. Now, it's not that the Old Testament doesn't present God as Father. It does, but, but it's in a limited way. 
In a few scriptures, God is pictured of the, as the father of the nation Israel. Or, or, or there's a scripture that talks about God being the father of the fatherless. But when we get to the New Testament, when we get to the church, when Jesus has, has died, when Jesus has removed that veil, when the veil in the temple has been torn and our personal veils have been removed... God is pictured as the father of every individual person who trusts in Jesus Christ. In Romans 8.15, we're told that we can cry out to God as our father. Speaking to those who've trusted in Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery. He's talking about uh, when they came to Christ, when they were saved. To fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're sons of God. We had a whole, I had a whole thing of this. Whether you're a male or female, you're a son of God. You have all the rights that in in this culture, in this time, was for sons alone. Whether you're male or female, you've been adopted into his family. And we can now cry out to him. We can call him Abba. Which signifies, you know, we, we say it means daddy. Well, it may, may not. But it signifies this intimate, close relationship with God. God is our close, intimate father. He's not a distant father. He's not the father that stays at work all day and comes home and reads the paper and never talks to his kids. God is our father and we are his children. He's close to us. Jesus makes uh, this abundantly clear. In, in sort of the model prayer, when the disciples say, teach us to pray, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father. Again, think about this. There's no psalm, the book of prayers for the Bible, that, that starts like this. David never says, none of the authors says, Father, preserve my life. Father, this, it's not there. They call him Lord and God and, and Adonai and maybe a few other things. I didn't do all the research, but not Father. But now, when we pray, we can and we should address God as Father. It's a must. Last night, uh, yesterday was my wife's birthday party. And my dad was talking to somebody. And I was overhearing. I don't know why I was talking to him. But he was telling about when he adopted myself and my brother. When he married my mom and he became my father. He, uh, we were, before he, they were married, I, I guess, I don't remember this, by the way, so maybe I should have him come tell the story, but uh, I guess we called him by his name, Frank, but then once they got married, he wanted to be called dad or father, and so, and we weren't doing it right, and so he said that what he did was he just stopped responding if we didn't call him dad, you know? And so I think maybe that's a, if we don't recognize our relationship with God as our father, I'm not sure, you know, if he's listening. But when we address him, and I'm not talking about magic words. I'm talking about the attitudes of our heart. God is our father. We need to know that we're his children. That through the work of his one and only son... So we're the adopted sons and daughters, but, but Jesus Christ is the one and only son. And, and through his work, we get to be adopted. If we trust in Christ, we're adopted into the family of God. Now, for those of us that have been blessed with a good earthly father, we know that no matter what is happening in our lives, 
no matter what we've done or haven't done, we can draw near to our Father for help, for encouragement, for wisdom, for guidance, to help fix the garbage disposal. Sorry. It's okay, Dad. It's all right. Because we know our Father, we know our Father wants what's best for us, right? And again, prefacing, because we're humans and some of our fathers weren't that great. It's not always true in the human world, but it's always true for our Heavenly Father. God always wants what's best for His children. So behold the glory of God. The God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush, who who declares, I am that I am, He's self, the self-existent one. He's our, he's our Lord and our Master. He's the triune God who's the creator and sustainer and supreme ruler of all. And yet, and yet, and this blows your mind if you take some time to think about it, and yet, He's chosen to be your Father. To invite you into a personal and and family. You know, if you have a good family, you know it's a good thing. You know your family are the people you count on and rely on. He's invited you into a family relationship with Him. And like a, a good earthly father, God wants what is best for His children. So behold His glory. Draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. And next week, we'll, we'll continue this, and we'll look at some more of the attributes of God, uh, who, who's our Father, who we can have a personal relationship with, but who is the supreme ruler of all. He's the one and only God. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your word and what it reveals. I pray, I pray that as we, as we did today, as we beheld your glory, Father, the glory found in your word Lord, I pray that it would drive us to you, that it would drive us to to seek after you. It would drive us to draw near to you. And thank you, God, that you promise if we'll we'll take some steps towards you, you'll take steps towards us, Lord. You don't force yourself upon us, Lord, but you want us to draw near to you. So, Father, I pray for myself, I pray for each person here that we would this week, we would grow deeper deeper in our relationship with you. We'll spend time in your word. And as your word reveals truth to us, as your word opens up our heart, Lord, we'd take that to you in prayer and that you would transform us, that you would chip away at the things in our life that are not of you, the, the things that have, uh, because of sin, because our, our, our image has become marred, you would chip away and you would make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.